0: everybody welcome to another edition of what's what VR. today we have mark lewis uh, mark's been around for a long time him and i have a little bit of a history we've known each other we just connected talking a little bit trying to find where it started and how it ended and it's it's lived on the web and it was tangled like the web so we know each other from a lot of different places so how you doing mark how's it going
1: i'm doing terrific brandon thanks for having me
0: awesome i appreciate you making the time with everything going on everybody's just is as I told about, right, you know, we're as busy as we, you know, have been. Um, you're actually down in New Orleans, so you probably understand this. A buddy of mine, and I have to keep giving him credit. He came up with it. Every day feels like the day before the big storm's about to hit. You know, it's just
1: <laughs> it's, we're living Katrina all over again, kind of. You know, <laughs> when you think about it. And you know the good thing about that is that we've got an experience in terms of business disruption, and I think we're better prepared in Louisiana to handle, especially in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, to handle these things because all the hurricanes we've been going through. Now we don't want to go through it, but I think we have a better understanding than most people throughout the country.
0: Yeah, and we're we're used to we've been pummeled, you know, with things. I've told everybody, you know, one of these days we're going to talk a little bit. You've got a book that you've written, but. It, I told a buddy of mine, I'm like, man, I could write a book, you know, we've been through tornadoes, we've been through hurricanes, we've been through floods, we've been through pandemics, you know, we've been through it all, you know, in our lives here.
1: Yeah, that's true. And one thing I have probably over you, and this is an interesting story. When I was with IBM several years ago, I was in Memphis, I tell people that I actually uh, was in a, a plane that hit another plane. Now that seems a lot, uh, a, a lot of information. And everybody's thinking, well, why, how did you survive? Well, we were on the ground in Memphis. And we were coming back from Memphis to New Orleans, and our plane backed up, and another plane backed up, and the, both those tails collided and locked at the same time. And so we had sirens and everything coming over, and we got unloaded. They wanted to know if everything was okay. So I have an experience here of being in a plane that hit another plane.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. I just recently started flying airplanes. And so yeah. that, I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm I know.
1: Everybody thinks that way. It's, oh, I've been in a plane to hit another plane. They go, "Whoa, how did you do it? But it's just something experience.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> well, look, tell me you are right now working through or kind of one of the things with the, you, it's like a state program, the CEO roundtable. You know, tell me a little bit about what that's you know, exactly is.
1: Well, um, I'm a member of Entrepreneurs Organization of Louisiana and we proposed to the state about six years ago to provide uh, roundtables that would help accelerate the growth of small businesses. So we presented this to, to LED and then LED came back. They really liked the program. So they did a pilot test in New Orleans about six years ago. And I fortunately was uh, had, uh, I moderated. I was uh, hired to moderate those roundtables. We had about 15 to 18 CEOs at the time, and it was so successful that the state decided to set aside funds to continue the program. And that's been continuing uh, for the past seven years now. And I moderate roundtables, both in New Orleans and in Baton Rouge. The whole purpose of this is to identify companies that have the ability to accelerate their growth, but they need help doing it. So we meet once a month for 10 months out of the year, And we talk about, for four hours, and we talk about different subjects like sales and marketing, best practices in human resources, financial management, operational management, business development, all these uh, topics that I present. And then this peer-to-peer shared networking with the group, and they share their best ideas, and I provide education to help them accelerate the growth. And every investment, the dollar, dollar investment that the state makes in this program, they get $11 in return. So that's how successful it's been. And they're doing wow. it in six states now.
0: Really? That's amazing. And that started here. You know, so it started,
1: yeah. yep. It started in New Orleans. The next uh, year we did Baton Rouge in New Orleans. It was so successful. And I was honored to be able to do it that they'd expanded across the state now. And it's a great program and it's free. Businesses can apply now. That time to apply. So if there's any businesses out there that want to apply, minimum six hundred thousand in revenue typically, because we don't want two small companies. And it goes all up all the way up to a hundred million in revenue. We have a good mix of small and large businesses. The large businesses can share their experiences, and it's been just really successful. And the demand is great. You have to go to opportunitylouisiana.com and to apply. And the applications were extended because of COVID-19. And so I think they may end at the end, uh, probably right around the May 15th, 20th level, so we can start the program in July.
0: Wow. I bet that's been incredible. Have, um, have y'all had little extra meetings, you know, here or there, or jumping on calls? Have y'all done anything with what we're dealing yeah, with? so. Right
1: Yeah, so what happens, the good thing about it is that these programs, you know, last for 12 months, and then the CEOs say, look, this was so successful, I want to continue, and they had no mechanism to continue, but now LED has provided this, what they call this LED growth network. Anybody graduating from the CEO roundtable goes into this growth network, along with the people that have taken their Goldman Sachs program, and those people have taken economic gardening through the state. So now they've built up this small growth network of, of companies that meet regularly. Now, the benefit of what I've done is some of these people have said, hey, I want to continue. This is a great program. So I've created what they call the CEO Masters Roundtable. People who graduated from the LED Roundtable now want to continue, and I've been able to do that both in New Orleans and in Baton Rouge. That's,
0: that's incredible. And You know, I describe myself as, you know, kind of a serial entrepreneur to a fault, you know, at this point. So I don't (laughs) know if I'm excited that you're telling me or like kind of a little like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? You know, because it's (laughs) news to me, you know, that I'm hearing this. But this sounds, you know, incredible. This is what people need. I've been a part of different mastermind groups. And, you know, I remember one thing, you know, when starting, you know, one of my first companies getting there. Um, my mother actually sat me down and told me, you know, and I remember, I can remember where I was and she's like, you know, you're going into business. You're going to be doing this. Let me, let me tell you, because she was an entrepreneur as well. She goes, let me just tell you, it's lonely at the top.
1: No doubt. And, and the, the, the ability to be able to uh, network with these CEOs is really beneficial. Now, this is not um, an easy program because every session, they have to do a homework assignment. The homework assignment could be write your vision statement and your mission statement. The other homework assignment would say, tell me what your goals are. What is, what is, and then another homework would be sales and marketing as it relates to uh, target marketing. Uh, do you understand, how do you market and promote? So they have to do the kind of things that are necessary to make them accountable and make sure they take that information back and implement it. And
0: that's, and it's, you say it's somewhere you know, sometimes people don't realize when you say, sit down, you know, write your mission statement, you know, or you say it in passing, like, oh, I've got to write a mission statement. When well, you sit down and pen hits paper or, you know, keys hit, you know, that dock, you know, that mind can go blank sometimes. And you've really got to sit there and focus and go, you know, okay, what's the mission? What's the story, you know? And then you end up writing things down. You're going, well, that's not really the mission. That's what I've got to work on for the next 90 days. And then you go, oh, well, that's really the next hundred. You know, how can this be infinite, you know?
1: Well, the mission and vision statement is really designed for your employees. You, they they want to know what direction you're If you don't have something like that, sometimes they don't understand what the mission and vision is of the company. Being able to put that together and express that gives them a roadmap as to where they're going. One of the biggest things that any organization has is to deal with their employees. How do we motivate them? How can we change the culture that we can work as a family? And so that's a really key component. And I've done some really unique things to define what best fits a culture and how you determine whether employees will fit that culture. And I always say the biggest way, the best way to lose A players is to tolerate C players. You got to get rid of those toxic employees so you can go forward. That's a big deal for me.
0: I've heard that, you know, time and time again, you know, and you hear people use the expression, you know, 90% of the work done by 10% of the people, but you know, really you need everybody. You know, you need all, you know, A players, you know, and
1: well, it's really especially true now based on what we're going through in this environment. You got to make sure that your A players don't go looks goops look, and go somewhere else. You really got to spend spend special attention on keeping your current employees and what you can do. Be empathetic, be understanding, listen to them, have these daily huddle calls. All that enters into and making people feel like they're special and they're part of something. That That's big in any corporation.
0: Yeah. We have our traditional and our publishing, you know, companies, we have our traditional, you know, mission statements and, you know, vision statements. But one of the th- things that I incorporated into it was uh, jobs and just turned around and said that we have two jobs, you know, that we do at this company. You know, one is to inform and educate and be a resource for our community, you know, job one. And yep. job two is make our advertisers wildly successful, period, you know, no matter what you're doing in the company, it should align with one of those two jobs.
1: You know, I heard a great statement from one of my CEOs that were in a, a round table and what she said was this, if you take care of your employees and you make them really happy, they'll take care of your customers. And I thought that was a really defining statement, take care of them and then they'll translate into those uh, customers. And when of course a happy customer is a great customer because they'll make referrals. I mean, there's so much that goes into being a successful business, but it's really not that hard. Most people don't realize some of the simple things you need to do to make a business successful. It's not that hard.
0: It's, It's an old spin on one of my favorite quotes from uh, Zig Ziglar. You know, you can have anything you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they want first. Exactly.
1: And that's what spurred me to write my book. Everything that I was seeing within that environment, you know, started back in 2016 when I just saw these things. I go, I can't believe people are doing this. like. They're, why are you doing that? It's so self-centered. Like a perfect example is, you know, people when you come to a stop light, right? And the, and the light changes. And there's people that walk right in front of you, even though you have a green light. It's like, why aren't you aware of that? And then if it does turn, why aren't you going very fast across? So what you're doing is you're respecting that person's in the car and their time, they need to get somewhere. All that thing, all, everything that has to do with uh, thinking and serving others is what I wanted to put in my book because I saw culture changing in a way that became so self-centered and so selfish that I needed to find a way to get that on paper because it was bothering the hell out of me.
0: That's funny. I was in the car a while back, and I've always made it the point. It was me and somebody else. We were going somewhere, and we were kind of going down down the street or something like that. And I started yeah. to stop and there was no reason to stop, but it was raining, but there was somebody that needed to cross the street. And so right. I'm stopping and kind of waving them across and right. they didn't catch on what was going on. They're like, why are you stopping? I'm like, I'm not going to sit in the rain. I can sit here for 30 seconds. Let them get on with their way, you know, let them do what they need to do. You know, it's not going to hurt us to sit here for a little bit. And let and we and need
1: more to people to people think like you because they don't. That's exactly right. You know, it's funny. I, I think about this. You're running. You go down there, and you're behind a car, and they throw trash out of their uh, of their car in the highway. You've probably seen that. The cigarette butts and they. Okay, so my question to you be: If you're in the middle of your living room and you're eating a sandwich, would you throw that trash in the middle of your living room and leave it there? Absolutely not. You know why? Because now they can internalize something that is self. They they can internalize something once they get outside their external domain. They don't care about things like. Maybe we did 30 or 40, 50 years ago. People don't think that way. When I internalize, I care, or I, what I call give a damn. When I get outside my domain, do I care about other people? And the answer is it wasn't like that 40 or 50 years ago. It's become more and more of that this today, and that's the reason why I wrote the book, to change people's mindset and get them to think.
0: That's, you know, that's, it's a, I love the title. It pulls me in. You know, and frankly, I think it's a perfect. You've got to give a damn, you know. And at the same time, there's a lot of people, like you said, that just don't. And it's like, where did that break down? You know, in society, how did we get there? I used to say all the time, like I, you mentioned throwing the trash. I can't stand that. I can't stand someone who steals.
1: You (laughs) know, oh, I know.
0: if you need money, come tell me, you know, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you what I can, you know, just don't take it from me. Don't, it's not yours. You're not entitled to it. You know? So what did you find through the course of writing this book?
1: Well, what I found out was um, society as a culture has changed. And there's several factors that have caused that. And in my book, I've identified nine factors. One is technology. I think technology has been great for helping improve product to productivity, but it's also lessened our communication face-to-face. Now we send text messages. Now we send emails. Uh, um, instead of calling somebody up, we'll send them a text message. and Some communication gets lost in, in that way. Face-to-face, you can see people nonverbal, what they're thinking, uh, how they're reacting to things, more of that communication. Now, the communication has gotten greater, but the quantity is better, but the quality, I think, has caused uh, a problem. The other thing is um, government, I think government has bred entitlement. Look, I'm all about helping people, but there's got to be an end point. That endpoint is I'm going to give you everything you need to succeed. But if you choose not to, I can't help you anymore. It's an attitude. I want to make sure that people feel like they're responsible and respected. Um, There's things like um, special interest groups. That's a huge problem, especially in the government, because you can contribute to a special interest group and the, the special interest group can spend billions of dollars on things and not have to worry about it because there's limitations in terms of what you and i can give to a political candidate but there's not limitations for special interest groups and there's other areas uh, like i talk about wealth and the poor and the wealthy and how that compares religion's more taboo now i mean people think uh religion isn't taboo. like it's, people don't practice religion by the way did you know that if you're religious the more religious you are, you'll actually live four years longer. You'll live longer than people who are not religious. It's kind of interesting. That's great. Yeah, got, then, uh, have, yeah.
0: Somebody gave me feedback on one of the shows, I guess it was a Friday that we were recording. You know, I kind of signed off and told everybody to make sure they go to church online. Yeah. I got flack for it, you know, like don't tell me what to do. And it was like you know, come on, you know, and I think a lot of what maybe, you know, when you were telling the story, you know, in society and with phones and stuff, I look, I've got a, I've got a 12 year old and seven year old twin boys. Last year we gave her her phone, her first phone. And yeah. I messed up, you know, it was okay. We kind of gave her the phone and we were on a trip and I wrote a piece about this, but the first time it was like the following Monday, she got it on a Friday or something. I had to call her the first time. So I dial her number, you know, we're in the house and I'm like, I'll show like it. So I call and the phone rings. And then the first thing I hear is what?
1: And I was like, <laughs> I do that to me too. <laughs> and I was like, oh no,
0: down the stairs, give me the phone. And it made me think it was like, you know, I just kind of handed this device over when I was a kid. I remember we learned certain etiquette, you know, it was like, you don't call people, you know, before 9am and you don't call them after 9pm, you know, right. and when you answer this is, and we were told this is how you answer the phone, you know, and this is what you say, you know, to go get someone. I, I haven't done that. And I think, you know, that that little bit of erosion goes a long way.
1: Yeah, it's called respect, right? Um, and there's less respect for people. It doesn't matter who they are. Look, I, could t- I run a company. I could take the garbage out just like everybody else. It doesn't bother me to help people. It doesn't matter what, what position they are. It's all about respect. Let me get back to religion, though. Here's the problem with religion. Like, there was a situation in in the city of Slidell, and there's been this, uh, in God we trust, at the top of the thing, and someone looked at that and said, that's offensive. Well, look, it's been there for 30 years, why should that be offensive? See, what happens are, it's never been a problem before, but now people are taking that and thinking that it's personally directed at them. That's not the case, you don't have to look at it just go about your business and that's the problem people are now taking things that are out there says god that it's directed at them it's not and that's the problem with religion look all religions my wife told me this all religions teach kindness like no they don't there's someone that they're like all these other religions i don't think that's true but they do they just do it in a, in a way that we don't agree with right but that's the problem we can't take religion look if i were to shove a bible in your face yeah that would be offensive but i'm not doing we can't pray at school. Why not? If puppy wants to do it, you know, I'm going to take black for that. But anyway, I just think religion is now not at you personally, let people do what they want, be religious. And by the way, be more religious, you can live longer. Yeah.
0: Who doesn't so want to live me. longer? It's science, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell
0: me how long ago did uh, give a damn come out? I well, I wrote
1: my first book in 2016, and I, look, I took about it took about seven years to do it, and I kept going off to a library. I had all these ideas. I had 60 pages of information that I dictated over two years and finally put it on paper, reorganized it, and I never would get it done, and that went on and on and on. I had business to do. I had to make money, right? Because a book is not very money. made you don't make money much at that. i you're big and I hope to be big. But anyway, 20, by the way, 20% of everything I do goes to the team Gleason foundation. He wrote my opening forward to the book. So I said, Steve, if you do this, I'll give you 20%. But get back to my story. I couldn't get it done. I hire interns. This intern came in. I didn't want to hire her. She looked like she'd been in a gutter, to be honest with her. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but she looked bad. She wasn't very social. We worked for two weeks. I hired her because I felt sorry. Two weeks later, I go, you know, I'm trying to write this book. And her, she lit up like a Christmas tree. I go, what, Amy? She goes, I love editing books and screenplays. I said, I've got a project for you. Six months later, I had my book. I did it myself. I thought it was okay, but there was something missing. And about a year ago, I reintroduced, give a damn, same thing, but I had a journalist and an editor. She rearranged everything took care of everything, it was amazing what she did. I had the story about my dealing with Negan in there, a lot of personal stories in there about helping Negan put him in jail, that's a long story in itself, but um, I put a lot of personal stories and how it related to where I am today, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Wow, that's awesome. You know, writing a book, you know, I've talked about it, I've told other people, I know people that I've told to write a book, you know, it, it's daunting you know, it's hard enough. I've got a column I write every month and they're actually waiting on me to do it right now behind schedule, you know, as it is. But I don't know that I could ever get to that point of writing, you know, the book. But somebody told me that some famous author basically, I remember somewhere saying along lines, all you gotta do is just write one page a day, you know, and you'll be done in a year.
1: You well, know, that's not easy, to be honest with you. It took me a long time because you have all these other distractions. But I finally got lucky I got to say, it was a God, a gift from God above that brought me Amy and then brought me Molly to redo the second book. And now I'm very much engaged. I want to take this nationwide. I did a a video on the silver lining on the coronavirus and how it relates. Now people are thinking, now are giving a damn about other people than more than we've ever. Maybe it was the pandemic that created this. And I've created the, uh, American Accountability Pledge that I want people to take about respect, morality, all that kind of stuff. I created a Congressional Accountability Pledge. Look, Congress needs this more than anybody, right? So I created this Congressional Accountability Pledge. I sent it to everybody in Congress, every one of them. And guess who responded? Nobody. Really? Yeah, I didn't get any response. I don't want me to sign up for their uh, web page and get information, but I didn't get anybody respond and say, hey, th- I think this is a good idea. I okay, even met with I, Steve Scalise on it, too, but I think he might help me.
0: Yeah, I um, I caught the video. I saw it uh, circulating around LinkedIn, you know, that you did. And I think there has been, and we've done some talks about this on the show with others there is a silver lining on this and, you know, it is horrible that people are dying and it is bad. Yeah. I'm not by any means playing light of that, but honestly, you know, my kids, uh, my kids learned to ride bike, you know, without training wheels. And, you know, we're bike riding every night and we're, you know, watching some shows whenever I can get away from the computer, I'll try to spend a little bit of time, but it is getting people. It's almost, you know, like a little, like a pause. Um, right. I talked with, um, Shelly Ripple uh, the other day with Crawfish Aquatics, and I love the way she said it, it, was, you know, we've been given the gift of time, you know, and now's the time where we can do some of those things that were on our someday maybe list, and we can, you know, kind of look at others. I know, like you said, I've been as busy as I've ever been, but at the same time, it gives me some pause, and I can reach out to some of those, you know, and maybe give some people a chance to actually start giving a damn about some things you know yeah right?
1: <laughs> you're right and and then this book translates right into that and you know we have more family time we're communicating now one-on-one versus being an email and text messaging um leaders are now coming together um it, it's the first time you ever see congress and the democrats and republicans come together and actually not think bipartisan, although they can, I think that's, gonna, that's, gonna, that's not going to ever change. Because once this is all over, they're going to go back to bickering and it's me against them. And I just hate that whole scenario. And that's why I'm trying to get every book in front of Congress and everybody. I want to give a signed copy to everybody in Congress and make them read it. That's going to be a tough, tough thing for me to do and see if they'll work together. It's, you know, they don't want to cooperate. It's me versus them. I, you know, I do speeches. And I ask, and I could ask you this, and you're not—I don't want you to answer. Are you a Democrat or a Republican? I ask that in all my speeches, and nobody answers. You know why? Because if they answer, then you're going to be put in a box—the Democrats a and the Yeah, you're going to lay, there's a label on you, and nobody wants that label because you can't think. Because like, if a Democrat thinks like a Republican or vice versa. And it gets to the party, There's oh, you're a traitor. Now they're ostracized from the party. And that's just wrong. There's no cooperation and collaboration. And that's the biggest problem with Congress today. There's a give and yeah. take.
0: It's everything. You know, you can't be, you know, it's, I was always told, you know, it's not black and white. There's shades of gray, you know, exactly. in the
1: <laughs> so, Not everybody's so, going to win. You can't please everybody, right? But, like, I, I make this analogy. I'm a political candidate and I'm running against somebody else, and I get 50.1%. The other guy got 49.9%, and nobody complains about it, right? They won, they're disappointed, but nobody ever says anything. But if I do a policy that, that is 80% or 90% for the good of the people, it's the other 10% that maybe screw it up, like the special interest groups, and therefore things don't get done because there's powerful people that can put an ax to certain things. And I, that's just wrong.
0: Do you see that in with some of these CEOs that you're talking to and some of these roundtables that you know I find a lot of times I talk with them and they know the right answer. They know what they need to do. You know, I've talked with other groups. It's like we know how to solve our problems, but it's almost yeah. we don't want to because we know it's gonna create other problems. You can make, you know, make the decision unilaterally. It's gonna make ninety percent, it's gonna be good for ninety percent of everybody in your organization. This is how we're gonna do it, but it's that small minority that gives you know, the angst it gives that anxiety and, you know, like there's gotta be a better way. It's like, no, you just need to do it.
1: Yeah, and that's a tough decision that a lot of CEOs have a hard time making. But I always go back, you know it's right. Most people know it's right versus what's wrong. The reason why they do the wrong thing, is they can justify it in their mind as being right. Now think about that. Like you wouldn't go out and just go kill a baby, right? I mean, you just take a knife and but if You had some reason and it was a bad situation and and you could find a reason that you would do something to hurt a baby, then you might do it. But it's not the right thing to do. It could be jealousy. It could be money, anything. People know it's right, but do the wrong thing because they can justify in their mind as being right. And that's what we have to change. We have to think. But the CEO, look, like I said, we can't please everybody. But if you can please 90, 80, 90 percent, you're doing the best. And sometimes those decisions are hard to make, but you have to do it because it's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, Got to be a leader, right? You know, yeah, leaders, leaders, leaders lead.
1: can be tough. Leaders have to make very hard choices. They have to lead. They, they can't please everybody. But for the good of most is where it's at.
0: Awesome, Mark. Well, tell me—is there anything we're forgetting? You know, right now, anything that we need to get out? I'm kind of looking over some notes. Um, we've talked about the roundtable. We talked about the book. You know, you're in New Orleans, but you know, might be making your way to back to Baton Rouge. You know, here soon. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, my wife's
1: got a, Yeah, my wife's got a new uh, job at Episcopal, and so we're excited about that. She's got a major project for creativity and helping kids K through 12. But you know, one thing uh, I thought that was really beneficial in the book is this. It's this question I would ask when you're getting ready to do something, and you got to think before you do it. What would you do if you always knew your mom was watching you, or a mentor was watching you, or God was watching you? What kind of decision would you make in terms of what's in your head? And I, you know, I use that uh, as a basis for making decisions, but I also... I have these wristbands too, that I give out to everybody right when they get a book that says "Give a damn," and I have to be constantly reminded uh, on a regular basis that it's not it 's not easy to always think and do the right thing, but most of the time this this makes me realize some of the things that I need to do differently and I, you know i 'm just passionate about taking this message to the world. You know, I'm just a little guy, right? I need some big guy. Like I sent an email to Tim Tebow last night, right? Say, hey, look, I got this book. You guys doing, You're doing all these great things. Very religious, right? He gets ostracized because of it, but which is wrong. But I'm trying to get, I need to get somebody really big that can just take this theme and have all of America adopt, give a damn. Do you think about that? We all give a damn. We all give a damn. It might change the culture and how we relate to each other because the more we do for others, the better we feel and everybody's happier it really is yeah, a big but, deal
0: and i was thinking you know leading up to you know our call today i think thinking maybe if you'd agree or not either way let me know i think it's we've got it when we say you know give a damn a lot of times people do give a damn on the big things but it's the little things you know that you've got to you know you've got to you know give a damn you've got to look at yeah. it it's not just the big decisions you know too many times we You know, if you're leading or if it's in your family, you know, you care and you get into all the details when you're going on vacation and which flight and what's all, you know, doing. Mm But you got to sit down and get into the details of it, you know, and really care about all of it. Right. You know, that's. Yeah.
1: Well, we really give a damn most when we can internalize something, something that affects our family or something that affects our food or shelter or whatever it is that affects our lives. What's real important is, what can we do to give a damn to affect the lives of others that we don't know? And that's the problem because we become more self-centered by not thinking that way. How can I I help your life, Brandon? How can I help the next door neighbor's life? And it's not a big thing. It's not that it takes time or money. But if I help you, I make you happy it makes me feel good too. When I do good things for people, don't you feel good about it?
0: I, uh, yes, I walk. Uh, I'm a pacer. Usually I'm kind of moving yeah. around. You probably notice in a chair, but I get on the phone and I put some AirPods in and I start pacing and people will find my wife. People will run into me and they'll see me after I like hang up the phone. I'm walking and I've just got it. My hands are full of garbage, you know, cause I'm just <laughs> walking around and right. I'll see it and I'm just picking it up as I go. And it's just yeah. a little thing. It's like, I'm not making a huge difference. No, but I would equate that to, you know, in my mind, I'm giving a damn, you know, I could, it's not gonna hurt anything. It's one little piece of trash, but I'll pick it up, you know, and go from there and just grab the next one. And
1: yeah. It, that's a big deal. A you're, you're doing the right. There's little things that make a difference in people's lives are, are really important. And this is going to take a long time to, for people to get and, and I probably won't be alive, alive long enough to be able to maybe see this through, but I'm going to work like hell to get the message. Now, give a damn is a strong. You said you like it's catchy. Some people get offended by it, but here's why I went with a title. My mom passed away about 6 years ago, 6 years ago, and I asked God and I asked mom, "Look, give a damn could be viewed as um offensive." But I went to and I said, "Look, God told me this and my mom told me this. You're not using this in an offensive manner. You're using it for the right reasons for people to care and have altruism, to have respect, to have accountability, to be responsible. You're finding a way, and this is the way to maybe wake people up. In fact, my my twin sister, I'm a twin, by the way, as well. She said, well, you should change it. You should change the title. Share your love. I said, you know, that's very beautiful. And it's nice. I just don't think it's gonna It's kind of like, okay. But I think it doesn't grab you like, Give a damn does. So, not in your
0: face.
1: Yeah, sure. I don't want to be in people's face, but I want people to take notice. Share a love, take notice, but maybe in a more, not a negative way, but it's more like too, not hard enough to be able to do it. So, that's why I created um, the title the way I did. There's a, There's a lot in the book that people can really engage. I have all these ideas about how they can give a damn, hundreds of examples of what they need to do to be able to you know, help others. And I've got quotes in there, personal stories, the story about me and how my life was affected when we recovered the data from uh, that put actually helped put Mayor Nagin in jail in in New Orleans. There's a big story behind that. I'm not going to get into it here. But it affected me and my family. But you know, it was the right thing to do. Uh, I suffered from it. but But I knew what I was doing was right.
0: That sounds like that might be another, you know, another day to get you in here and hear oh, that story. I, like, I could write a book
1: on that alone. <laughs> there, that's,
0: that's the next one. Well, yeah, I don't well, Mark, know about that. Well, Mark, I appreciate it very much. As we said, we've all been extremely busy, given up the time today to kind of run through, talk about the book, talk about the roundtable. We'll get some links for everybody to be able to click into that, you know, apply. Like I think you said, they extended the deadline. We'll get some links okay. to be able to pick up a copy of the book. Uh, I saw it's on Amazon. You can go. Grab you can get it
1: right on now. Amazon. You go to com If you want multiple copies, just let me know. I can get them to you a lot quicker, and I can get them all signed, too.
0: And it's local. Supporting it's local. local. Right You're
1: right. So. Exactly.
0: <laughs> all right, Mark. Well, have a great day. Have a good weekend. we got some good weather coming. And uh, so in the lack. In anticipation of offending someone, again, you know, go to church online this weekend.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. You've been terrific. I enjoyed it immensely. All right. Thank Have you. a good one. You bet, sir. Okay.